Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, I've got a question for you. There were sort of two stories that we came across. What's the better financial move? Is it the guy who spent $150 and ate food for an entire year? Or is it the guy that turned $8,000 into $5.4 billion? You already have your answer. Is that why you're giggling? I, I just love the comparison. I love to juxtapose this idea of free food for a year for $150. I guess not free versus $8 billion. I think we know what's the on paper best move. I know which one I re resonates with me better. Only $5.4 billion. Mm -hmm. So anyways, the first story comes from Southern California. It was a young man who basically was looking to try to pay off some college loans. He had his first job and he saw that Six Flags Magic Mountain was offering a promotion for $150. He could go to the amusement park every day. And that promotion also included two meals at the amusement park every day. And so he decided just to eat lunch and dinner there all the time. And here's the best paragraph I read. Dylan's first bite into a turkey hot dog called the Thanksgiving dog felt nothing short of life-changing. It was amazing, he says. It's a turkey dog topped with cranberry sauce, stuffing, and a slathering of mayonnaise, which I know sounds awful, but it was so good. I ended up eating way too many of them, and now I can't even smell turkey dogs without gagging. And Don, the article just goes on to talk about this guy's financial move of eating at an amusement park every day for a year. What did you think about the article? Uh, this very much resonated with me. I can totally imagine myself doing so. If I lived near a theme park, which is like a Cedar Point type thing for uh, those people not familiar with Six Flags. And so this guy goes every day and he eats breakfast and dinner there and it was, or lunch and dinner there. And it was close. It's only five minutes out of his way. I could totally see myself doing so if I was a single guy just out of college, like, oh, this is a cheap answer to all my food problems. I could totally see myself doing it. Now, this is why that men need women in their lives. They need a woman to say, no, no, you can't do that. That's not a good idea because I can totally see every guy I know saying, oh yeah, this is the, this is the answer right here. In my younger twenties, I ate horrifically. And this guy even said, he's like, look, it was amusement park food. I was eating a lot of burgers and pizza. It's not exactly the healthiest fare. And therefore I can't imagine the sort of like weight gain, I guess that maybe could have happened. Although maybe if you're walking enough or if that's all you're eating all day, maybe that kind of balances it out, I guess. I just also wonder like, what did this guy smell like after a couple of weeks of just sort of eating this same type of food all the time? I don't know what I was so busy with in my early twenties, but I remember saying, I'll just go to the grocery store and buy 20 TV dinners and I'll put them in the freezer at work. And then that'll be my lunch every day. I don't have to pack my lunch because I was so busy with no kids and living in an apartment with no yard work or house maintenance. I don't know what I thought I was doing, but I also put a bar that I wouldn't pay more than a dollar per meal. And I shopped at a bankrupt, a terrible grocery store called Food for Less. But it was made sense to me at the time until I went to the doctor at some point. And he's like, you have high blood pressure. I was like, well, how do I have high blood pressure? Oh, I'm eating trash every day at lunch. I'm just <laughs> eating total trash. But it made sense to me. I had to change my ways. And I went to the doctor. But if I'd only not gone to the doctor, I could have kept eating trash until I keeled over. Because <laughs> you just wouldn't have known. I mean... The the amount of soda this guy must have been consuming. And as we know, soda is like the silent killer now with all that sugar. I, hopefully he was staying properly hydrated. I guess he kind of said that it was weird because, you know, there are different food stands throughout the park. And so he said it was 5,000 steps away to get to like the salads that were down in like the, 
I guess, I don't know, the whitewater kind of water park area. He said it was weird because like he was in his like suit and tie while everybody else is like in bathing suits and stuff like that. So maybe there was, I don't know, like lots of exercise just to get to certain areas of the food. I guess ultimately it was just, I never would have thought about something like this. I've seen meal plans when I've taken my family to Disney World and stuff like that. Like you'll see somebody with like this huge bucket that they can fill popcorn with all day long. And they seem super happy because they just get to drink all the soda they want. But that's like for one or two days, you're on vacation, everybody eats horrible on vacation. This is a lifestyle of vacation eating. And that's kind of shocking. Well, it makes sense from the business standpoint, because um, I know like for skiing, I don't go to the resorts that you enjoy, but I do go to skiing. And if you ski five days at a place like Vail, it's going to cost you around $1,000 just for lift tickets. A season pass is about $1,000. And so they realize that they're just to get that marginal dollar. It's not people aren't going to go there that much. And I can see how offering a meal plan makes total sense to the business. And this guy, they probably still made money on it, even though this guy made out like a like uh, so much on it. But it totally makes sense from business angle for him. He did say that the food was awful at the beginning and it did get better. The more he did it start, <laughs> the article started with a description of chicken balls, I believe. And they're just like deep fried chicken balls and not the testicles of chicken, but just balls of chicken. And it was just awful. I was reading it and I was like, oh, this sounds just terrible, but he did it. And I, like you said, I ate terrible too when I was younger and I could totally see that this makes sense to somebody. He said that he had the chicken ball option. I think about 150 times, oh. times, five, times five chicken balls. He estimated about 750 that he ate his whole time. He said that some of those things were getting a little bit rough. He said that the, the worst is that all of a sudden the meal change started to include snacks. And therefore, that's when he said the weight really started to go on because now he was able to also get Dippin' Dots and ice cream sundaes and churros and pretzels. And I just thought, oh, my God, like, I can't imagine your poor heart. Hey, everybody, now you get a promotion. You can have even more calories. And of course, nothing good with those calories. Absolutely not. But during this time period, he got engaged to a woman. I don't know how. Who's this woman? She must have seen a project coming. Like, I can clean this up. It won't be that hard. Just get him off the food. Well, and you were saying like the business plan, right? So probably the whole idea is, okay, we know we're going to lose money on this guy, but he probably brought friends to the amusement park that didn't have the plan that probably ate there. I assume that, you know, he and the girlfriend probably went for a while, although it sounds like in the article, as you were saying, single male, right? Eventually, it sounds like she kind of got him off eating there all the time. Maybe he's now just doing lunch and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And he, I think he's, so he's teared, he's pared it down a little bit since then, but the general idea is just the most food for the least amount of money, which makes total sense to a guy in their twenties. And he paid off his student loans. So win for him, student loan rates, interest rates are high and it just shadows people forever. I, that's a big deal. No. And that's a really good point. I, I think that that's the part of the story that maybe should be taken more seriously, right? Here's a guy who you know, he even said, he's like, yeah, I had friends out of college and they were saying like, they spend like $1,500 a month eating out and, and doing all of these things. And I get it when you're young, you're not that interested in maybe cooking and you just want to kind of go out, have fun. That really adds up, right? They, I mean, you always see that thing of, you know, stop eating your, your, stop drinking your Starbucks each week and make your coffee at home and you can save yourself $35. And yet I feel like this guy should have an ad that just says spend $150 and eat pizza and hot dogs and chicken balls. And you're going to save even more. 
It's the inverse of the latte effect, the one you talked about, where if you don't just stop at Starbucks every morning for a latte, you save $5 per day, which turns out to be $2,000 a year. And if you invested at 8% interest, then you will have $50 million at the, well, that's not right. But anyway, the point is like, yes, you can do this and save a lot of money. I'm intrigued. I Not long ago, Starbucks started a program where you could get limitless coffee for like $3 a month. And I enjoyed that uh, briefly because after a month, I realized I was spending infinitely more because my kids were often with me and we'd stop at Panera to get the coffee. We'd end up with uh, a cinnamon roll and mm-hmm. uh, a couple uh, smoothies. And pretty soon each free quote unquote coffee cost me $15 for food for my kids. So yeah, I, I, these promotions really make sense, but this guy found the hole in it. As I'm sure there are people that go to Panera every day and get just coffee and nothing else and leave. The only way you can save money is don't hang out with your kids, right? Those They're just a dream. <laughs> Live uh, a solitary lifestyle where you don't interact with your family at all. And really you could save a ton of cash. Well, man, if this guy didn't have a family or a girlfriend, just think he could just literally $150. That's his meal for the entire year. He'd save so much. As long as you don't have to pay your healthcare expenses in the long run. That's true. I can't imagine the blood <laughs> pressure take for this guy or something like that. The triglycerides would be off the charts. Well, no, it's interesting because I wrote this down. I was trying to think, okay, not everybody lives near an amusement park. Now, obviously, those who do or you know can make it work logistically, it does seem to make sense. However, I was trying to think of other places in society where maybe you could pull this off. And one of the places I thought of was Costco. For $1.50, you can get an enormous hot dog and a soda. And you could like eat that twice a day and probably uh, you'd probably hate hot dogs at some point, but that's pretty cheap or they've got pizza. I think they even have some sort of a little salad or a, you know, kind of a yogurt with some fruit in a bowl kind of thing. But it seems like maybe that should be a goal is just people eat all their meals at Costco. I've seen a lot of people at Costco eating and they're not there shopping. Like I've had the guilty Costco hot dog a few times. You're walking out, you're starving. You just, you have a bunch of healthy food in the cart, but you don't want to wait to get home. So you get the slice of pizza or the hot dog. One of the tragedies of the, of the pandemic is the Home Depot hot dog is gone, which I often enjoyed because when you're leaving Home Depot, you're in the middle of a project. You don't have time to eat. So you can get the Home Depot hot dog. But yeah, there's always people at Costco they're eating that don't look like they're shopping. They're dressed for work. They came in to eat lunch. I'm sure it's very affordable. It's a, it's a win. It's almost always guys like this guy. Before the pandemic, uh, my wife and I during the summertime would take our kids and like for literally like less than $10, everybody was eating something. That's a pretty good value when you think, you know, even just taking your family afford like a McDonald's or whatever is going to now be a 20 or $30 project. I was just trying to think, can you think of any other places that would be kind of this quote unquote life hack, right? I mean, I really feel like this guy, his name is Dylan. He kind of deserves a medal or, or deserves to be promoted by America. Here's a guy who's figuring out how to, how to live with the budget, pay off his college debt. I feel like this should be maybe a bigger story. Well, there's the van life people that just live in a van and pay for a uh, 24 hour fitness type of place or not 24 hour fitness. One of those cheap, cheap gyms that have showers. Okay. And then they just shower at the gym and they live in their van. And that's, that's a hack. You can save money that way. Again, this doesn't seem to be very desirable in the long run. I don't want my only shower to be at a gym, especially a low cost, cheap gym, but nevertheless, you could live somewhere (laughs) terrible and just rent a room and then go there every day. I mean, that totally makes sense. I mean, there's these things out there. I think the people that probably know it best are the elderly people that go down to Florida and probably know where to get this sandwich on this day to get this deal and how to live cheaply. And yeah, there's, there's people out there that do this. I mean, it's just, 
this guy is an extreme example and a little bit admirable. I like the idea, the ingenuity, also the flexibility to go to the park every day. At what point does he stop if he doesn't get married? If he just like, all right, I've paid off my loans. I just, how long could you think he go? What would be the endurance factor? That's a great question. I mean, maybe his whole life. I guess my thing would be is obviously maybe if his body gave out from the unhealthy food, but I don't know. Most Americans eat burgers and pizza a lot. So it's not like we could just sit here and say, oh, this guy's really making poor choices compared to somebody else. Conceivably, it seems like, hey, if you don't mind just eating the same thing every day, why couldn't you just keep doing this all the time, right? Well, and the classy version of this is what Google has going on. Uh, my understanding is that some Google people live in the RV in the Google parking lot, and then you just go into Google because at Google, they have not only showers and food, but good showers and good food and limitless uh, daycare and all these other options. It never closes. It's super nice because they want you there working all the time. So that's the uh, high class version of this. Just get a good job at Google. So what you're saying is just, yeah, we just need to go work at Google. <laughs> I'm sure that's an easy job to get. Yeah. Once you get in, then let me hook me up. I'm, I'm looking for a job <laughs> in a couple of years here. Well, the other thing I was just trying to think of is like, and again, I don't eat at a lot of buffets, but shouldn't buffet stores or restaurants be offering like a $200 annual meal pass for an individual or something? I mean, they seem like they're set up with the economics. They're just producing the food in mass quantities, putting it out there for people to eat. Doesn't that seem like a good idea? Or even mall food courts, maybe a frequent flyer eater card that you can just eat at any of the you know restaurants there it keeps everybody moving in those seem like places that maybe could benefit from something like this because it was a uh, theme park might be a little bit different but it does make sense i as soon as you started talking about this i was thinking of a simpsons episode where homer goes to the all-you-can-eat shrimp buffet and then they shut him down and he sues them and wins because he uh he didn't get all the shrimp he could eat <laughs> yeah i i don't know i mean but it just seems like you could find a way to manipulate some sort of a pass to, to, you know, keep one individual, one meal. Cause a lot of these places just want to stay busy. Right. Or there's always, as you were saying, that marginal item that isn't covered that people are going to get, especially if they're bringing their kids. It seems like everybody can win maybe in this sort of thing. But again, I just thought there was a lot of ingenuity. And then by the end, he did say that like all of a sudden they started offering salads and he started kind of, you know, finding an eat, a cleaner way to eat, it sounds like. So I don't know. I, I just think this is a, a fun article, but also interesting. I also wanted to get your take on that Thanksgiving dog. Would you, uh, <laughs> would you want to eat that? The slathering of mayonnaise is where I kind of really got turned off. Sounds a little disgusting, but then I uh, then I realized that I do enjoy a slice of BLT pizza offered by Chicago Brothers Pizza, where they have a uh, they basically bake a pizza shell and then they put on it big crumbled bacon, lettuce, tomatoes, and then cover the top with mayonnaise. And I do enjoy a slice of that, although I think two might end me. But it is uh, it is not that better. So I'm sure the Thanksgiving dog is to some people a perfect thing. Funny you mentioned the BLT pizza because I always enjoy watching you eat that thing. It's got that mayonnaise kind of dripping off and stuff like that. The the shredded lettuce that has like zero health in it because it's iceberg <laughs> lettuce, you know, is it looks a little wilted. And therefore, I guess I guess I shouldn't sit here and judge, right? It sounds gross, but maybe if you're really into all those Thanksgiving products and you're willing to eat it on a plate all mashed together, why not in a hot dog? Hey, I've had fries with mayonnaise in Amsterdam. I've had BLT pizza. I, those, I'm living in a glass house. How am I going to throw stones at this guy? 
You were a California guy. You lived out there. Did you ever go to Magic Mountain or any of those theme parks when you were out there? We went to Disney California Adventure. I think we won something to go there for free. Not a lot of theme park things for my wife and I. We're more uh, go for hikes and stuff like that. So I, I did not really frequent those. But we didn't have kids either. But for some reason, our kids don't like that. They don't like carnival rides. They have no desire to do roller coasters. Very different from me as a kid. I really wanted to do that. But uh, yeah, it's for some reason not on our radar as a family. It's interesting because I have read about a lot of people in the Southern California area are pass holders at like a Disney or a Universal Studios. And they'll either go because they have family that visit or just it's just sort of something they just kind of regularly do, right? It's almost like you're a member of Costco. And it's just like, yeah, I never know if I want to go down there and hang out. And I wonder if there is a lot of kind of meal plan options for people out there that just want to, you know, frequent the park for an hour or two each day. I could totally see doing it if it was a ski resort that was local to me. I'd be there all the time. And you can always go skiing if the weather's, if there's snow out there. But uh, theme park's a little different. Well, final question on, on just sort of this topic is, I have always thought about the idea of, you know, going down to like one or two meals a day as a diet. And it sounds like, you know, who knows? Maybe this guy was also eating breakfast. They just didn't talk about it in the story. But let's assume he was just sort of getting to lunch and then uh, having dinner on his way home. And he did it all at Magic Mountain there. I just always thought, do you think you could like go to a diet where at like 2 p.m. every day you just eat one Chipotle burrito and you just like load it up with as much sour cream and guacamole and meat and rice or whatever. And then that's your like meal for the day. And then you only eat it again like the next day. Do you think like you could lose weight if like you kind of went on to a diet like that? I just sort of wonder if like there's something about sort of kind of hibernating the rest of the day in terms of eating and then coming back the next day. Well, what I know about diet and uh, metabolism is not great, but it's that you're uh, if you ate one meal a day, your metabolism slows down, your body burns less energy in anticipation of the starving time. And then when you eat, you just gorges and it just pounds all that food into fat if possible. So eating smaller meals is better. But I do remember in college, I, in my dorm, my freshman year, I just had lunch and dinner at, at, the, at the dorm cafeteria and then occasionally a night snack. But I didn't really eat breakfast. I remember when I was trying to get faster, I would eat breakfast as well just to make sure like I'd force myself to eat some oatmeal or something for breakfast because so I needed fuel for my body. I don't think I could do it. I'm not good. I get hungry and I get cranky. I need hangry. I need meals often, but... Uh, the scourging thing is just, it's not going to work for me. I'm not Stanley McChrystal. Fair enough. I don't know. I, I, I kind of wonder, like, if you maybe did 8 to $10 for a burrito, I don't know, seven days a week, $70 for meals for a week. That's still a pretty good economics. I mean, it's not uh, this guy at Six Flags, that's for sure. He estimated he spent about 50 cents a meal, I guess, by the time he was done. That's a good deal. Now, could you do it? I feel like I could do a burrito a day and eat nothing for at least like I could probably do it for like a month. I think I'd like to think I could. I'm sure you'd probably between like 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. You're probably starting to get kind of hangry and all of that. But I don't know. You could really load one of those up. I've just always wondered if like actually would you end up being healthier, you know, low calorie diet. Not that this would necessarily be low calorie, but the idea of kind of making your body uh, wait for it. Right. And uh, maybe you'd turn out better. I'd be interesting social experiment, I guess. I think waiting for it would reduce your metabolic rate, your basal metabolic rate, and you'd burn less calories, and then you'd just hang on to more body fat. I don't think it'd be a good good situation. So you're Doesn't saying sound I'm, healthy. You're saying I'm gaining weight by the end there. I think you're you're very sloth like in anticipation of this one meal, and again, maybe your body adapts like uh, General McChrystal, but I just can't see it as a good system. 
I'm not a nutritionist though. If Chipotle or Qdoba want to sponsor me in this, I would be more than happy to, <laughs> to try it for them. Yeah, because uh, you're going to drive down in the midst of uh, your kids and travel sports and whatnot. You're going to find a Chipotle. Daddy's got to get his midday meal so he can uh, just keep going. Yep, exactly. I don't know. Maybe someday. Who knows? Well, then, you know, sort of moving on to the other big financial choice that somebody made or decision, and that is... Last August, somebody spent $8,000 on a new cryptocurrency coin. It's kind of called a meme coin. There's no actual productive value behind it. It's not like there's some network or something that's that it, the coin represents or a service that it provides. Instead, it's all based on basically just sort of the fun and entertainment of owning a cryptocurrency. The cryptocurrency is called the Shibu Inu coin. And last August in 2020, somebody spent $8,000 buying the coin and they bought around like 70 trillion of the coins well the the coin is kind of related to elon musk and there's this whole weird thing of memes and dogs out there on the internet and over the last year or so the coin has gone up by a couple fractions of a penny and this guy's wallet now shows 5.4 billion dollars in value just sort of an interesting bet on i guess cryptocurrency in a way and just meme coins what did you think about this article uh i thought it was interesting in fact there's three people in the last week have talked to me about cryptocurrency that have, i would not have expected and it is um something i've been aware of for a long time i remember you and i talked about bitcoin 10 years ago which we shouldn't have been talking about it we should have been investing in it mm -hmm. um that was a big mistake opportunity costs, foregone billions of dollars we could have had instead of paying for daycare and so forth. But anyway, um, yeah, the uh, people who keep bringing it up and talking to me about it, um, it, it's really interesting. It's this fascinating long shot bid for money. And now there's 1,500 or more cryptocurrencies. And there's so many people betting on these long shots. And maybe they work out. My response, of course, to the article was sell, 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 sell. Because get out and get the get the real cash, but I'm a very risk averse person. Something I realize more each day, and that has kept me in a fulfilling job, but in a media a upper medium income bracket. And I'm just not that risk oriented. I mean, you're a crypto guy. What where are you going? First thing I thought of is is I wonder how difficult it would be for this guy to try and start selling all of these trillions of coins that he has. They're all, of course, digital without like tipping the market, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, isn't one of the problems is once you own all of these things, you got to find enough people that want to buy them back from you at the higher price. And so, I mean, I guess maybe he goes from 5.4 billion to maybe 4.4 billion if he, if he, you know, tips the market against him and stuff like that. What I thought was most interesting about this story was our hero, Tyler Cowen, had a really interesting sort of take about what this kind of might mean for the future of currency and betting and, and kind of maybe how people are looking at investing. And I want to read you his paragraph. He wrote, let's play the envelope game. I give you an envelope with $100 and I tell you it is either going to double or half in value. Think of it like a floating exchange rate that either will go two to one or one to two with equal probability. So will you end up with either $200 or $50? The expected value, therefore, being $125. That is a good deal for you. You started with $100, and you can expect now $125. You would love to keep on playing this envelope game, of course, 
except no one will play that envelope game with you even once until now. In essence, by tolerating cryptocurrency, big time fiat money holders have agreed to keep on playing this game. And so if this continues over time, crypto will absorb more and more of the wealth in an economy just by playing the envelope game. After all, the indirect utility function is convex in prices and the rest of the world is creating a floating exchange rate game for us for free. That is why so many crypto assets keep proliferating. The only joke about Dogecoin is that it isn't even doing better than it is. And Don, it just sort of seems like here's this new reality where for a sum of money, which isn't a crazy amount of money, I mean, $8,000 is a lot of money, but it's not like it's unreasonable money for even people like you or I. And you can just go and find these coins that have tons of volume out there. And all you need is for something to spike on social media and have a surge of buying. And you could all of a sudden see this sort of envelope game, right? Just sort of like a weird lottery almost out there. Yeah. And it just soaks up value because people keep putting money into it and that value seems to increase. Uh, it's actually kind of a na natural deflationary measure, I would imagine, because money's just going into this and not coming out. People are just storing wealth in these Bitcoins, which just puts the money in a spot that is not in circulation. Furthermore, 25% of Bitcoin owners lost their password and can't get into it. So I imagine that's true with these other currencies too. So it's just hiding more money and more value. So it's really kind of an interesting place to go. I don't truly understand it, but I get the general idea. And I can see how it's very alluring to people that will want to try to make some money. I mean, I found a box of baseball cards not long ago. And on the outside of it, I had written in fifth grade, worth millions someday. Well, instead of spending my money on baseball cards, if there was some sort of crypto asset, then maybe it really would be worth millions someday. And I think the long shot idea is more alluring to younger people with less expenses. Or at least that's my take. Maybe when I'm younger and I had lesser expenses than I was saving money by eating fast <laughs> frozen dinners, then I could jump into this market. And I do think there is an appeal to younger people, right? I mean, everybody in a sense kind of would love to get rich quick. For the record, Bitcoin is very different than the Shibu Inu coin. Like Bitcoin will eventually only have 21 million Bitcoin in supply and then it caps out. The Shibu Inu coin, I think maybe has an infinite supply out there. And this guy, when he bought $8,000 worth of Shibu Inu coin, he bought it at the price of point. Zero 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 one eight nine fraction of a penny. And so it's super cheap. And therefore you can load up on millions, billions, maybe even trillions of a share. And all you need to do is get this thing to just move a little bit higher and, and still all less than a fraction of a penny. And again, as kind of Tyler is just saying, if more and more people want to play this game and it's a global game that people are playing where just this money just kind of sloshes around in this cryptocurrency, I could see where everybody's just like, you know what, I'm going to go find a couple of these coins and I'm just going to hold uh, somewhat of an amount and I'm just going to hope that randomly it just spikes in my favor. Yeah, I, I, I totally see that. And people are loving this game and it grows and grows. Great. Do you see any problems with it, I guess? That's what I was trying to, 
I was trying to figure out is like one, in some of these cryptocurrencies, there is a productive value behind it. They are trying to decentralize the internet or they're trying to sell internet ads or they're trying to have a protocol that offers better security than maybe what Google or Facebook can do. And so therefore their crypto coin is actually connected to some sort of a project that's trying to actually create value. But then you have like the Dogecoin or the Shibu Inu where literally they're jokes. They're just people publish them and everybody's honest. It's like, yeah, there is no value behind it. Do you think there's a problem long-term if more and more people want to just keep, I guess, playing this envelope game, if you will? I think of it more of a, as a collector aspect that people are collecting these, much like they might collect jerseys or sports paraphernalia or art or baseball cards. This is just like a collecting activity and it's probably a better collecting activity. I mean, how long have people been collecting coins and stuff like that? That stuff just sits in their basement and they enjoy spending time looking at it, but it doesn't have much real world value, nor does it really increase in real world value. So this is just a collection that may actually increase in value. I mean, shouldn't all coin collectors that have been doing this forever and going to coin shows, wouldn't they be better off investing their time and money into cryptocurrency? It's kind of the same without the aesthetic pleasure of touching and holding the coins. No, that's a good point. I do think there's probably a collecting aspect to it, especially when you know, things have our fraction of a penny in order to purchase and stuff like that. A part of me also just sort of kind of wondered if this is maybe the next extension of gambling. I mean, with the rise now of online sports gambling and betting, obviously you connect that to an event and really there's just two people's, there's just two people on the side of a bet, right? One person thinks a team's going to cover a spread. Another person thinks they won't. And the spread is set up so that each, each side gets equal action, right? Therefore, aren't these meme coins just a chance for everybody just to bet on whether or not a coin is going to go up or go down in a certain period of time? It kind of seems no different. And it seems like if you keep it in perspective and are just interested in the entertainment value of it, there's maybe money that can be made. Now, I guess the real problem would be somebody who like takes out a loan or like takes out a levered bet against one of these things and then it goes against them and then maybe they've got some major problems. But that seems like that could also happen in sports gambling as well. Oh, yeah, I think it's a good analogy to sports gambling and people seem to be into one or the other. And so this would be a, a real way to spend your time and energy and maybe profitably, maybe, as you said, something that's tremendously negative for people in terms of their long run happiness or financial well-being if they just keep betting on this stuff rather than sports gambling. Both seem like a well that I don't want to be in. Somebody said that this is maybe the greatest trade of all time, turning 8,000 into 5.4 billion. That, that, you know, that might be right. What's interesting, though, is this article was published in early November. And just to give you a sense of how volatile this sort of stuff was, is they said that the Shibu Inu coin in just the last seven days had been up 173%. And again, just that idea of you can throw some money in there and the volatility, and I'm sure you could probably find it where it's down 173% in a week or something like that. Or can you even go down 173%? I don't know if you can, but I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure that you could find it going down at these volatile rates as well. But again, if you're just looking to surf the momentum or, or volume of people, and if you believe more people around the world are connected to the internet and are interested in playing this game, it seems like maybe everybody should be playing this game. Well, yeah. I mean, as long as they have extra resources that they don't need, I think part of Tyler's take is like, if you are having extra money and you don't want to get it out then, and you want to use it and it's not something you're depending on, then sure, you can put your money into cryptocurrency and have some fun following it. I don't think you're going to bet my kid's college fund on it, although maybe I should. 
Yeah. I thought his point though, at the end of, if more and more money chases the quote unquote crypto game, what is not going to be invested in, in the real economy, right? All of a sudden, if dollars go into buying meme coins and stuff like that, what stocks, bonds, or real investable projects are not getting dollars to be invested in them? And therefore, could you see a world where there's just this weird crypto vortex, right? More and more money chases the sloshing lottery game, which again, could become more and more lucrative if you can be the one that hits right. But now all of a sudden, what real businesses, projects, or problems aren't being invested in that maybe hurt society long-term? Well, that's why I was saying it's deflationary, because if people are investing in this, they're not spending on other goods and services. We have 6.3% inflation in the last year. Would it be worse if people weren't pouring money into crypto, if they're spending it on other goods and services, which are incredibly scarce and expensive at the moment? So I think it may be actually good for the economy because it prevents inflation. And that's where it is. And also people just, their net worth increases. Maybe that results in all the benefits that go along with net wealth in terms of uh, better performance as parents and lifestyles and health outcomes, despite the fact that the money's not actually spent. So maybe it does have benefits in that sense. Interesting. So you're saying this is our solution to the inflation issues that America has is keep buying more crypto, get that money sloshing out of the real economy. Yeah. And it's not floating around in the economy. It's not driving up prices, but yet people feel more wealthy. And therefore, what, what goes along with wealthy people? Well, better parenting outcomes, better health outcomes, despite the fact the money's not actually spent. It's like the stock market. People are worth billions, but that doesn't mean they're spelling, spending billions. It means the billions are in the market and just increasing theoretical values. Elon Musk can't spend $250 billion or whatever he's worth right now, because if he did, the value would fall. But he can just say, I'm worth this much, despite the fact that in reality, he owes way more money than he has in uh, cash. And so it just increases overall net wealth and decreases spending. I think it's overall good. It's just not good for me. The wealth effect. I like that. That's a good, that's a really interesting take that maybe society and individuals overall, they feel richer and therefore on a lot of other sort of unmeasured life metrics, maybe things are better if this sort of thing happened. That's my thoughts. Well, I mean, I guess you could also say we've had lotteries forever, right? And lots of people play the lottery and lots of people lose. And I'm not sure if those life metrics are, are getting better, but I guess more people can win this sort of meme coin lottery, if you know what I'm saying. No, the lottery is the opposite. The lottery is you spend money every week and your net wealth decreases and your net well-being and that goes along with your wealth also decreases as you play and play and play. And if you do win, you're likely to go broke within three years. This, the crypto thing is the opposite. You get theoretically wealthier and wealthier each week you play. And this wealth just accumulates and you ultimately in the end, maybe do have some money and some value that you can use. But overall, I don't know what that money and value eventually gets spent on. It's like people spend a lifetime accumulating wealth and paying off their house. Then what do they do with that wealth in the very end? Well, they go to some living facility for seniors and they sell their house. And then that revenue from the house goes to pay for the living facility until you're until you run out then you go on medicaid and it all just pours in that senior living facility so i i don't know what the ultimate goal is of gaining wealth unless you're going to spend it that's a good point that's a good point some people just you're right they like to feel the wealth or at least that number there now again not everybody gets to win this game at the same time right for some to win that means other people have to lose on the other side of this bet 
And I think that's also just something to be thought of is I guess people that are putting money into this market that they don't necessarily really have. And that could be where the some of the problems go. But I do think that's an interesting point you make about maybe it increases the wealth effect for some people. And that's uh, that's sort of interesting, especially a lot of people that they can afford some meme coins, but they can't necessarily afford other assets in the, in the financial service industry and stuff like that. I disagree with you. This is zero sum game. And correct me if I'm wrong, because you're a smart man, that I think it's a win-win because if everybody pours their money into these cryptocurrencies and nobody's taking the money out because they just want to talk about how great their wealth is based on crypto and they keep investing, then just overall demand for these things keeps increasing, which means the value keeps increasing and everybody feels wealthier. Although they're not actually spending the money, everybody's winning as long as people stay in it. And not unlike the stock market, I've been thinking lately that so many people are investing in the S&P 500, which just drives it up and up and up as all these tech people have passive mutual funds through their 401k, and it just drives up demand and demand keeps rising and rising for these companies. As long as nobody cashes out, it's a win-win. It's just the losses if everybody cashes out. So until there's a tremendous long-run crash, not a daily crash, which is happening with them anyway, but a long run, as long as people keep pouring in, everybody wins. Well, in theory, yes. At the same time, as we know, people do cash out at some point. And all of a sudden, the moment you start to see the price going down, that herd mentality hits. And then there's a certain number of people that all want to cash out. And I got to assume this coin, just like the S&P 500, will have its, its peaks and valleys, right? As you're saying, if everybody you know continues just to play the game of let's just all buy and hold, you're right. But I mean, again, there's a guy now with $5.4 billion worth of this Shibu Inu coin. At some point, he's probably going to want to realize some of his wealth. And the moment he starts trying to sell, that has got to put some pricing pressure and drive it down, I would assume, at least in the short term. And then does that have everybody jump on it? Now, as we know, markets always tend to come back. And at some point, people will start playing the game again, right? And I guess it kind of matters, like, when are you asking for your envelope? Are you asking for it at the beginning of a cycle or at the end of a cycle? It seems like, and maybe this is a stereotype and all wrong, that people that are into this market are just in and in for the long run. They just keep putting money in. Maybe they're millennials that don't have a lot of fixed costs because we know <laughs> that that's part of that generation is that they don't want to buy a house. They don't want to maintain a yard. In whole, they're likely to uh, just keep their money, their footprint fairly small, and they'll just do crypto and keep pouring money to crypto. Maybe eat hot dogs and turkey dogs at the uh, Six Flags to lower their expenses. And the, <laughs> what's the prize for them is the net value idea, the net worth idea, rather than actually accumulating things, which a lot of young people don't seem to want to do. Or maybe these young people have been studying your favorite billionaires like Bezos and Elon. None of those guys ever sell their stocks. Instead, they just take out loans against them, right? So maybe the millennials are all just planning on never selling their, their meme coins. And instead, they're just going to take out loans from banks against their holdings. Makes sense. That's what Musk, the richest man in the world, has like no houses. He used to have like eight. Now he's down to like one and he rents and he takes tremendous loans against his stock value. The, the, his liquid currency is very, very, very small and almost non-existent. He just borrows and borrows for his siblings too. Like he's just, it's a bizarre world, but it's one that's very different from what I think would be the boomers who would like be these 1980s, the Wall Street type people. They're like, oh, I want to have this house in the Hamptons or this car or this thing. Like that doesn't seem to be a thing for this younger generation. Who's the ones that are likely to be in the crypto? 
Well, there's great tax advantages of not selling your, you know, your assets and instead just borrowing against them. And that's kind of the billionaire playbook. It's funny you mentioned the millennials because two weeks ago we were, we were talking to, to Beth Steiner and she talked about, I can't remember if it was a nephew or a friend's son who's, you know, kind of sounded like he was marginally employed selling things online. And then he was just pouring all of his money into the crypto market. And you and I kind of chuckled along. But that seems to be an increasing trend for these millennials is they're all kind of, quote unquote, trading crypto on the side. And therefore, it kind of made me wonder, like a year ago and, and for the last couple of years, we've been making the joke about these underemployed millennials who are in their parents' basement playing video games. Is it possible we got it wrong? They're not in their parents' basement playing video games. They're in their parents' basement trading crypto. They're probably doing both. Both are activities you can do at home <laughs> without going anywhere. And without spending any money on real things and without having to acquire responsibility, it's just speculative things to do. And that's what they're doing. They're speculating in their video gameplay, in their YouTubing, in their cryptocurrency acquisitions. And so it's just a different lifestyle. I mean, I never liked video games. I don't really have much desire to get into crypto because I'm a low risk type of guy. I just want to go places and do things, but that makes me tremendously opposed to what this stereotype of millennials is. I was listening to an interview a couple of weeks ago with Mark Cuban, another one of your favorite billionaires, and he's a big crypto guy now and was promoting cryptocurrency, this and that. But he was saying that he has a small polling firm, you know, in his vast empire of companies or whatever that he owns. And one of the projects he gave his polling firm was to sort of investigate if there's a correlation between sort of, you know, the lack of workers in society right now. Of course, we've got lots of openings. But what he wondered was, is there a correlation between the rise in cryptocurrencies over the last couple of years and the lack of workers? Meaning there's a lot of people that are just don't want to work because they're making enough money trading cryptocurrencies and stuff like that. And I thought that was just an interesting question to go out and kind of research and find out. Well, they're not working because they're happy with less amounts of money and their theoretical worth is very great, despite the fact that they all sell, the value would fall tremendously. And so, yeah, maybe that's part of it. I, I don't really I don't really know. I guess this is a group that we don't really know because our, our, my contemporaries are in their 40s now. I don't know that many people in their 20s other than former students. I'm not asking them that much about this because I don't see them. You're right. We are. I, 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 I get, are we boomers or are we like like kind no, of boomers? We're generation JV X. <clears throat> we're generation, I'm generation X because I'm 45. You're a little younger than me, so you might be Generation Y. But boomers, that's uh, that's the uh, the post World War II group. That's our parents. Although a student called me a boomer, yeah, I, I was like I lost it. They're like they thought I was losing it because they thought it was an insult. And I was like, no, you just are so ignorant. You think it's an insult, but it just shows your ignorance. You don't get it. Like I'm not a post-World War II baby. You, uh, There's a guy I know who's really into crypto. And the other day he looked at me and he wanted my opinion about something. And he's like, I just kind of want to get your opinion because like you kind of represent like the boomer market and like the boomer things. <laughs> this guy's older than me. And yet I couldn't tell if like, is that like an insult? Is that a compliment? I don't even know what to think anymore. I guess it just meant that I'm old and, and not current. Just because you have little, little hair and you uh, want to own a house and pay it off, you must be a uh, boomer. Yes. And I have, I have money in stock indexes. Just not very cool anymore. No, not interesting. Just like, eh, that, that's me. Hey, Lee, you drive a minivan. I drive an old Honda Accord. We, we are now boomers, I think, by, by definition. 
Yeah, we we took on our parents. Well, <laughs> well, Don, I got one business idea then for you. This is all just sort of come to my head, but tell me what you think here. Okay, so in this whole crypto world, you can just mint your own cryptocurrency. Like I think there's like over eight thousand of them that have been like minted, and most of them are worth absolutely nothing. But again, the idea of like owning currency for fun, right? So. Okay, what if we took our podcast and of course our vast millions of listeners out there, but basically we tell people, hey, if you listen to the podcast, then you are going to earn yourself our cryptocurrency that you and I have specifically minted for our podcast. Maybe we call it the paragraph coin or I don't know, maybe something cooler. I'm not sure if uh, that's a good name. But we then say every time you listen, you're going to get a cryptocurrency coin from the paragraph, right? Now, the more people that listen, the more they can earn coins from us. And then these coins can just get traded on exchanges. And you and I, of course, the founders of this brilliant podcast would keep, you know, 50%, 75% of all the coins to ourselves, because isn't that like how Elon and all those guys got rich. And then we just like promote our podcast to the moon. Like you're in charge of social media and that Twitter feed we've got. Every day you're out there hawking us, telling people like, this is the one podcast that pays you to listen. People start trading our coin. It goes from a fraction of a penny, maybe to like half a penny. And you and I, we own so many of these coins that it spikes in wealth and then we can cash out billionaires. What do you think? You know, Burger King's already doing this, right? I did not. Burger King is offering you uh, some sort of crypto if you buy Burger King. Darn. <laughs> thought I had it, Don. This was it, our it actually, it actually it's the best plan work. I have for us to become billionaires. It, it could. It, it has an outside shot for people that are like, if we want to spend our time and energy doing this, there's probably a 0.2% chance of us making it work, but it's probably our best chance to become billionaires because I'm not inventing a drug or a social media thing, but, and I don't think you are either, but this actually would probably be our best shot. <laughs> I love that. It's kind of depressing. We're not <laughs> going to invent technology. We're not going to invent some new vaccine or a drug. So we're down to like promoting our kind of sloppy little podcast here and hoping that some worthless coin could take off. Hey, it's a better chance than buying the uh, random super, uh, super jackpot of the lottery has. So uh, yeah, this is probably our best chance. Get on that. You, you know more about coding than I do. Start, start doing the coding or uh, find some smart person to work for us. The best part is if, imagine if it did work and you and I became billionaires and then all of a sudden people would want to interview us and they would treat <laughs> us differently. They would treat us like intellectuals, people who can see the future, right? We have a crystal ball. Cause that's how all these guys on like CNBC get treated. All these hedge fund guys get treated as if they're magicians and they can see things that others can't. Like you and I would probably have to stop wearing our Kirkland brand Costco clothes and we'd have to dress nice. Maybe you wear a beret and, you know, <laughs> and, and we speak about things that are going to now happen in the future because we're somehow smarter. Uh, I think we don't have to do that. We could be aloof and wear like weird hats and like just in terrible clothing, but we'll be eccentric because we worth billions. This is a good idea. We should probably get on this. Will you promise me that you'll let me build my bunker in Colorado next to yours um, with all the other billionaires for the climate change thing? Oh, absolutely. But there'll probably be wildfires all over. I think we got to be long in Michigan. Move to the UP. <laughs> black flies, black flies. All right. We're going to start buying up the property in Iron Mountain or something like that. Hey, there's an old mine up there. 
Uh, I'm sure we could get that. That'll work. All right. Well, we'll earn the billion first and then we'll, uh, we'll start working on our property takeover. Well, let me just end then with what's the better financial move, Don? 150 bucks, eat for a year at an amusement park or 8,000 into $5.4 billion? As I said in the beginning, I, the, 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 free, the cheap food really resonates with me and it make, that's the one that I'm 100% more likely to do. However, clearly the best deal is the Shiba Inu coin, which I would never invest in, but I would find a way to spend that $8 billion. I'm going to hedge and I'm going to go with something you said a little bit earlier. I think eating the Thanksgiving day dog in your mom's basement while investing 8,000 in <laughs> meme coins is probably the way to go, right? Oh, Hey, that's the win-win. Yeah. I'm sure my parents would be really happy hanging out in the basement there. <laughs> oh God. The smell of that Thanksgiving dog would probably just reek in the basement, bad. which is unventilated. Certainly <laughs> just sitting around there playing games, eating that Thanksgiving dog. Ooh, that that's going to be, Ooh. Well, uh, you know, only the future, I guess. We'll see. <laughs> Don, it's been a pleasure talking with this week. I hope you and your family have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I look forward to talking with you next week. On uh, the same to you as well. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.